From the editors of Cannabis Business Times and the team at Quest, this is How to Win a Cannabis Cultivation License, a new limited series that focuses on this integral process, this starting line for all of us in the industry. My name is Eric Sandy, and I'm the digital editor of Cannabis Business Times. We are pleased to bring you an in-depth look at the licensing process in the cannabis industry over 10 episodes as things stand in 2021. This is episode four. We've covered the stories of several cannabis businesses so far in this series. Narratives that have brought us to Pennsylvania, Missouri, Michigan, and Massachusetts. This week, we're going to move into California, the largest legal cannabis marketplace in the world, and the source for so many cultural and practical tenets of this industry. Napa Valley Fume was founded in 2016 as a vision of Eric Sklar and Jake Cloberdans, two entrepreneurs who hail from the wine business. As a quick note up front here, Napa Valley Fume was named the best cannabis company to work for in 2021 in Cannabis Business Times annual feature, a ranking based on employee surveys conducted by the Best Companies Group. You can read about that in the February 2021 issue. But well before the founders had a chance to receive that honor, they needed to secure a cannabis business license. They needed to get onto the playing field. Here's Eric Sklar. We, we knew that there'd be a real complicated, long and drawn out process, not just to get licenses, but before that, to get ordinances written you know, on a local basis. Because in California, according to Prop 64, it's really up to the cities and counties to decide how and where and when they want to allow any uh, cannabis activities at all. And most states have something similar to that with some amount of local control, particularly over cultivation, because of the concerns that people who are, you know, don't know a lot about cultivation of cannabis have. And Politicians want to make sure those concerns are met, right? Prop 64 is the 2016 voter-approved measure that legalized adult-use cannabis in California. Sales began in January 2018, and to this day, the implementation of Prop 64 as a law remains a matter of ongoing debate and regulatory fine-tuning. It's a bit of a dynamic process carried out at the state and local level, and it's been a somewhat incremental process. Not every county in California has opted in to host cannabis cultivation businesses. Many haven't. So when Eric and Jake and their team began planning what this cannabis enterprise might look like in the aftermath of the Prop 64 vote, they needed to lean heavily on the local interpretation of this new law. A law, by the way, which ended up being known as the Medicinal and Adult Use Cannabis Regulation and Safety Act, a.k.a. Malcursa. They needed A, a county that would allow cultivation businesses, and B, a property within that county. If you've been following along with this series, you'll see this is a recurring theme, the search for alignment between your business goals and your business assets and what the market provides. In episode two, Michael Ward at Harbor Farms described his race across Michigan to find such a place. In California, in 2016, Eric and Jake wanted to stay close to home but Napa County was not allowing outdoor cultivation, and still doesn't, as of early 2021, although Napa Valley Fume has since secured an indoor cultivation license in Napa County. So, back at the start of their story, they dialed in their search and headed up the road to find an opportunity. So before we even got into the whole licensing process, we decided where we wanted to grow, which was up in Lake County, north of Napa um, County, and we started going to Board of Supervisors meetings and going regularly, really learning the lay of the land up there because it was a new place for us. Very immersed in Napa politics and Napa issues, but not so much in Lake County. 
And so, uh, you know, the first thing is to really learn the lay of the land, find out what the county is interested in doing, what they're not interested in doing, find out what individual board of supervisors members are interested in doing and not doing, and then starting to have discussions with them individually. Um, and then, you know, kind of with the community in general, uh, uh, in terms of the cannabis community. And then you finally spread out a little bit to the broader community where you, you know, work with the neighborhood groups and the maybe the area area groups to uh, that are stakeholders to, to see what they were thinking about and what they'd really like to see happen. This is key. Know your neighbors. Know the landscape. If you happen to find the right real estate and regulatory ingredients for your cannabis business in your own backyard, that's terrific. But it's not likely. More often than not, cannabis business leaders will need to get their boots on the ground and meet the people who will not only be greenlighting, or not, your cannabis business application, but also the many people who will be, say, driving past your facility, greenhouse, or farm. You'll want to meet local law enforcement, the fire department, city planners. If there's not already an ordinance on the books, you may want to provide your own perspectives on the matter, helping local policymakers understand the inherent complexities of the cannabis space. Your own experience in the business is an asset. By networking with people in a given community, you can turn the licensing process into more of a two-way street, something that will benefit all parties down the line. Are you going to get a perfect ordinance? Never. Are you going to get an ordinance that, 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 that you can live with? Hopefully. Um, that's the goal. And, uh, you know, you're going to have to make compromises. You're going to have to make concessions. But you work with them to make sure that the property you have will be included in the green zones they're creating, that the conditions of that property will work. And um, if you're doing it right and working with other growers, you're creating a broad enough set of, uh, of regulations that they allow a big tent and allow lots of folks in. We always approach it that way. We don't want to just go in and pass a law that's just good for us. That's never really a good idea. Um, a, the politicians don't like it if they notice you're doing that. But more importantly, we believe that, you know, that we all rise and flow together, that you want a community. If you look at Napa, where I'm from, you know, the, the grape growers together really joined together 50 or 60 years ago to create the Napa brand, for instance, and really elevate Napa wine. We believe that should happen every place with cannabis as well, that the cannabis community should get together. Working with the Lake County Board of Supervisors on a local cannabis ordinance brought Napa Valley Fume and the rest of the stakeholders well into 2017. By that point, the law was on the books. It was time for the formal licensing process to begin. And in California, most places, what you're applying for is a conditional use permit. That means it's entirely discretionary. The Board of Super Planning Commission, if they want, can reject it. Um, you can appeal to the Board of Supervisors and they can reject it. Likewise, if the Planning Commission approves it, neighbors could appeal it to the Board of Supervisors and they could overturn it. So you really have to lay the groundwork with your neighbors, with the, peak, the folks around you to make sure that they feel comfortable and aren't going to be in opposition. Um, that's, that's kind of the, the soft politics of it, right? Really, you know, talking to folks and working with them. The harder part of it is, uh, if you will, the, the, the paper part is really building a compelling application, right? I mean, you got to talk about why this product is not going to be harmful as a, as, a, as a neighbor to anybody nearby, whether it's security, whether it's odor, whether it's pesticide drift. You have to show how it's not going to increase traffic and make uh, the neighbors all upset because there's too many trucks coming down the road. You got to show that you're going to, in, in particular in California, you have to show that your water use is going to be commensurate with what's allowed for your size property. Um, and so, you know, you, the, the application ends up being, gosh, you know, it, the original one we had was a, a four inch binder. Um, now I overdo it a little bit. I believe give them more than they want, not less. 
you know, you got you to take that application very seriously. You're going to be often competing with others um, or, or sometimes just competing with yourself, but it's got to be a, a, an application that's really impressive um, because the planning staff doesn't want to piss off the, their bosses, the supervisors or the city council members. They want to make sure they can answer all the questions and they've done their job of, job of due diligence, making sure that you're a top-class operator. Creating the optimal environment for a grow room is one of the more perplexing tasks of this young but massively expanding industry. Countless growers, large and small, struggle with the challenges of getting temperature and humidity control right to consistently deliver quality product. Yet many are disappointed with the results. Why is so much time and money wasted on HVAC systems that fail to deliver? How can growers get solutions that truly service them and their bottom line? The answers to these questions are found in Getting Grow Rooms Right, the industry's first comprehensive and non-commercial guide to grow room HVAC design, specification, selection, installation, and operation. Download your copy at questclimate.com book. Along the way, as Eric Sklar and his team were honing their cannabis cultivation business application, he impressed upon the county board the job creation and economic development benefits of this new industry. Bear in mind, perhaps nowadays even more than in 2017, the economic impact at a local level is a top-tier concern for the people who will be thumbing through these sprawling cannabis business license applications. As of this recording, we're coming out of a pandemic, hopefully, and local communities are looking for creative and safe ways to deliver jobs and tax revenue to their residents. Cannabis represents one of the single most compelling opportunities, aside from the ever-evolving tech sector, and the license application is the place to clearly spell out how your business is going to contribute to that part of the story. Of course, it's not all rosy. This is business, and there are questions to be answered, points of contention to be clarified. In Lake County, on the outdoor cultivation, I would say that, you know, that the biggest challenge um, and obstacle at some times was the fact that we were one of the first applicants. So the people evaluating the application were as new to it as we were. Uh, the, the rules had only been written months before. Nobody had employed those regulations before in any way. So it was really kind of a back and forth where when something didn't make sense, we'd say, hey, listen, you know, I know the, 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 the ordinance says this, but here's what we, you know, really is like on the ground. Um, and we found, you know, the, the staff and in, uh, in Lake County, very cooperative in, in trying to understand and learn. Some of it really means bringing them out to a, an existing garden, showing them what it looks like, how it operates, how, you know, your drying room is only used two, two months a year, or if that, right, and, and why it's, it's, it doesn't have a big impact, things like that. It, it really takes, and it's, we're, we're doing as much education as we are uh, application, applying or application processing. One thing that really helped Eric and his team, in a way, was a deep background in the wine business. Cannabis, especially cannabis in California, gets compared to wine often. It's a specialty crop, grown in many cases with a sense of local terroir, and it's heavily regulated. These are dynamics that will sound familiar to anyone working on either side, in the cannabis garden or the vineyard. Yeah, you know, particularly in Napa County, which has the strictest regulations for even vineyard development, um, there are a lot of similarities. You know, you're, they're, they're really worried about uh, uh, erosion and water use and water quality and, and runoff. All those things are really important. So planting on a slope, for instance, raises a whole nother level 
uh, regulatory questions because of potential for erosion and mudslide and so on. Um, so in, in, the, in the counties in California where that are most strict about any kind of uh, development of agriculture, including vineyards, it's very sim there's some real similarities. Um, additionally in Napa, as in other places, there's a real concern about the viewshed. We have these you know, beautiful mountains on either side of Napa Valley and they didn't wanna see large fenced in area, you know, windscreened areas uh, marring the hillsides. So working with the county that your city or city you're in to meet those concerns um, is really important. And in Napa, we kind of had a roadmap because of the wine industry. The good news for both the counties that uh, were operating in Lake and Napa counties, they have, a, they have very large underground water tables that are their own. They're not part of some larger uh, aquifer. And because they're both bowl-shaped counties surrounded by hills on three sides in Napa's case and four sides in Lake's case, they really capture rainwater very efficiently to recharge that aquifer. So the lo locally, we didn't have much of an issue in, uh, in Lake County. Um, we had plenty of water there. Um, but working with the state water board, you know, it's, it's where, where we get that water. We have springs on the property. Well, we can't use those springs unless they're licensed properly. So we're using well water, but we, we'd like to use those springs because there's bubbling out of the ground and it's really good water for the plants. So we'd like to do that. It doesn't use electricity to pump it out of the ground. So it's more green. But that suite of wine industry similarities cuts both ways, helpfully and unhelpfully. Wine is an established business with well-financed interests and a certain gravitas in parts of California. When cannabis came along in the wake of Prop 64, it wasn't welcomed with open arms across the state, as we mentioned earlier. And in counties with a firm foothold in the great business, more obstacles sprang up. Napa County you know, has not allowed outdoor cultivation yet. And we got a question the other day from a Board of Supervisors member who wants cannabis to be allowed to be cultivated about water use. And again, because I was in the wine business for so long, I'm still growing grapes and I've been in Napa for my family has for over 40 years. Um, I did a comparison of the use of water for wine making and grape, grape growing and wine making and cannabis. In, in Napa, we're proposing a maximum of 100 acres of cannabis. It's a small county with only 505,000 acres total. And there's not a lot of good flat land left anyway, because grapes have occupied most of it. And we can't plant near grapes because the pesticides and, and protective measures they use on grapes would drift onto the cannabis, rendering it, our cannabis unsellable. So I laid out the water use and there's 45,000 acres of grapes in Napa County planted. We're talking 100 acres of cannabis that we're proposing. Now, one acre of cannabis uses about uh, 0.72 acre feet a year of water to feed the plants. An acre of grapes uses about uh, a little more closer to 0.6 acre feet, but that includes with grapes, frost protection, which you don't need to do for cannabis because it goes in outside after the frosts are over. But the buds for grapes can, in, in years where there's a, a few days of warmth in February or March, the buds can break early and then you can get a freeze and it can kill the buds and you have no grapes that year. So they use water in some vineyards to protect against frost. They also water the grapes, of course, the vines at certain times of the year. And then they use water in winemaking to clean everything. And so when you calculate all that together, you get about 0.6 acre feet for, for, for wine and, and cannabis is 0.72. So not a huge difference. But then when you multiply the 0.72 times 100 acres versus the 0.6 times 45,000 acres, you're talking about cannabis being a rounding error in terms of the total water use in the county. And I think that's a case that a lot of cannabis growers need to make. 
that yes, the individual plant is really thirsty. I mean, it is a weed after all. It's going to grow fast. It demands a lot of water. It loves lots of heat and lots of water at the roots. But an acre of cannabis is a lot of cannabis compared to say an acre of grapes or an acre of walnut trees or, or, or almond trees or, or whatever, right? So yeah, you need to make the case that while a plant uses a lot of water, the, uh, the overall garden um, uh, gardens in your area will not amount to a lot of water because you're just not going to have that many. And counties can make that choice. They can say 100 acres isn't plenty or 200 acres or 300 or even 50. And that's the way to restrict the water use to keep it manageable with their water availability. In many ways, we're talking about a broader agricultural ecosystem that we're trying to slot cannabis into. Even for indoor growers, the use of local resources is something that plays into that license application narrative. How significantly will this alter the local environmental landscape relative to other industries? Whether you're talking wine in California, chilies in New Mexico, or peaches in Georgia. Napa was very resistant. The Napa Valley Vintners Association and the, uh, and the uh, Farm Bureau in Napa Valley really have resisted and really tried to stop us from being, being permitted to grow cannabis here, anybody. And, and, and they've done it because, you know, they're nervous about anything that might affect their the image of Napa and their wines negatively. The fact is, is that I think it's mainly generational. If you look at the people who are against it, they tend to be older, whiter males. Um, and if you look at, the, you know, the, the, the people who are supporting it from the wine industry, Rob Mandavi, Stephanie Honing, you know, uh, 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 Coppola, uh, in general, the, the, the teams that are promoting it are, are younger, more diverse and, and more, more looking to the future and less the past. Um, they, the, of course, the vintners will say, no, we're, we, we built this brand over 50 or 60 years and we want to, we own it, we want to protect it. Well, A, they don't own the name Napa. Napa's on Napa nuts and Napa olive oil and Napa soap and even Napa auto parts, right? So they don't own the name Napa. Um, and we are, the growers who want to grow cannabis in Napa are longtime grape growers who care very deeply about the value of the name. Um, but, you know, we haven't convinced them of that yet. So Consequently, we, we went to the net nearest county to get going and really get our feet wet. And we did more than that. We ended up growing some really amazing cannabis and launching some great brands. But it is still our deep hope that over the coming couple of years, we can get an ordinance written to be able to grow in Napa, outdoor in Napa County. If you're interested in learning more about the licensing process and you're listening to this series as it's released, join us at Cannabis Conference 2021 in Las Vegas. The show runs from August 24th to the 26th, and an all-access pass gets you into our Create a Winning License Application session. Securing a cannabis business license is one of the most critical, and perhaps one of the most daunting, first steps in launching a business in this increasingly complex and competitive industry. Make your application stand out from the crowd with takeaways from this can't-miss session for any new or expanding business. We're going to continue releasing episodes over the next six weeks, every Friday, introducing you to characters around the business who found their way through the tangled licensing process and who have plenty of advice for anyone interested in following along. We're going to pick up next week with more of Eric Sklar and Napa Valley Fumé's story, and we'll be returning to other characters who've joined us so far. In the meantime, though, we're all ears at Cannabis Business Times. Is there something you want to hear in this podcast or in future series? Is there a story that you think sheds some serious light on the licensing landscape in the U.S.? Send me an email anytime. I'm at esandy at gie.net. GIE is our publishing company. Or reach out on Twitter at CBTMag. 
We are here to serve the market. My name is Eric Sandy, and I'm the digital editor of Cannabis Business Times. Our sound editors are Alexander Garrett and Jay Boyden. This series is brought to you by Quest.